Today's guest has done everything from fluffing the bride's dress to keeping the bridal party calm when Nana needs an ambulance just as the ceremony is about to begin. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. She's an event producer with nerves of steel and a sense of humor to go along with it. Her name is Lindsay Lighthammer, and this is her story. Lindsay, welcome to the show. How Hi, are you? I'm good. I'm good. You were only 16 when you got your start working as a banquet server. Tell us about that job and why you loved it so much. I was working at Atlantica in Cohasset. It was my first job, and I was doing everything from setting tables to passing apps and serving dinner and clearing and cleaning up and then flipping the room for the next event. I enjoyed it because it's fun to be a part of someone's best day of their lives. It was very exciting. Everybody's dressed up and coming together to share the love story of a nice couple. So it was always very exciting. When it came time for college, you knew exactly what you wanted to do. So tell us about your experience at Champlain College in Vermont. I loved my experience at Champlain. I was a business major just to kind of keep all of my doors open. Everything is a business after all. So I decided to go into minors in event management at their program there as well as marketing. And they do a really great job of integrating kind of real world experience with your college education as well. So it's a nice hybrid that I think really sets you up for success when you do graduate and need to move on and get a real job and all of that. You graduated with honors, the double major business management and event management and marketing. This really did sound like the best menu for the next chapter in that field. As you graduated, did you feel as if you were prepared to jump into some of the roles that you ended up with? Yes, in a sense that I was very enthusiastic and had a good foundation. However, when you enter the world of events, the best way to learn is by doing. So with all of those things that can happen at events, learning how to properly react to those things and kind of have your solutions and your toolkit, that's kind of a learn by doing thing. So it was a little bit of jumping in feet first, but made it work. You must have loved it in Vermont because you stayed there after graduation. And that is a long way from the little town that you grew up in. Mm -hmm. The Green Mountain State, maple syrup, farm to table experiences. What do you love about Vermont? Really, I love the farm to table part of Vermont. So it's so easy to be able to go to the co-op and I can fill my grocery cart with vegetables, produce, milk, butter, cheese, everything that's from all of these farmers that I've gotten to know particularly since the bulk of my career was in off-site event catering and bar services and things like that. So even the whiskey could be local, the vodka could be local and things like that. So that kind of local economy, friends helping friends, was very important to me. You know, it sounds also as if you've been able to create a community. So you've got your people that you go to. Mm -hmm. How important are relationships in your business? Oh, probably top tier, most important. So I did spend a number of years as the president of the Vermont Association of Wedding Professionals, and I'm a current board member as well. It was especially apparent throughout COVID. The relationships that you do have are paramount in that industry. So the strength of the fiber of the Vermont wedding industry is really impressive and very close-knit, and that even spreads further beyond just Vermont into New England as well, where you can reach out, and if you have a certain issue in in a certain state, that you have that network to kind of pull from. Take us back and tell us about your first job after graduation? My first job after graduating, I became the general manager for a high-end off-site farm-to-table caterer called Cloud9 Caterers based in Colchester, Vermont. I spent about five years there, worked very closely with the owner, Sarah Moran, and she kind of taught me everything that she knew. She was a wealth of information. 
I still now, as since I've moved into planning as opposed to catering, still work with them very frequently. But that was kind of where I got my eye-opening experiences and all of the things that you have to think about and deal with, especially when you're providing food for large numbers of guests, oftentimes in the middle of a field somewhere in Vermont where you might not have cell service and you're bringing all the infrastructure together yourself. It's also a luxury brand, right? Yes. So when I hear the word luxury, there's a certain expectation for the customer that comes along with that. Talk to me a little bit about working a luxury event like that. One of the most important things that I focus on, particularly as a planner, is our logistics and guest experience. And design and all of that comes secondary to that because you can have the most expensive, beautiful flowers in the world, but the second your guests are waiting too long for a drink or they don't know where they're going, they're having a bad time. So their expectation is to have a high level of guest touch points where they kind of want for nothing. They are able to move through the experience of the weekend very easily. They're never asking any questions and they have even small things like their own dietary issues. They're catered to and included and we already know about that so that that person doesn't have to seek us out and say, While I'm gluten-free, we'll already know that and we have a meal prepared specifically for them. And then also just making sure that we're keeping things fun and that we have these backup plans to backup plans. So if it starts raining, which it did every single (laughs) weekend this past summer, we have a really well thought out plan B and plan C so that everybody's expectations are known and are kind of on the table. And so we can react properly. And that makes sure that they're not upset with how things happened. Your next stop was the Farmhouse Group as their director of catering and events. This job provided you with the opportunity to develop new parts of the brand. Yes. Tell us about that. I just had kind of a unique opportunity to join the Farmhouse Group. I had known the owners there very well. A number of friends of mine had worked with that group. They wanted to kind of dive into the catering market. And so restaurant work and catering work, while they do the same thing about bringing food to people, they happen in two very different ways. So I had the knowledge about what we needed to put in place in terms of internal infrastructure within the business to be able to come up with a successful catering department in that case, plus start to develop all of the private dining programs within their four restaurants and just kind of create a brand new bill of business. I had a lot of autonomy to kind of make it how I wanted, and that was a very like enjoyable experience to start that kind of from the ground up. It's also so empowering, and I think it gave you the confidence because armed with that experience and your relationships in the field, which you say have been paramount, you decided to go out on your own. Yes. Was there a moment when you knew it was time to do this? Yes. I have a family that I work with. They're the Casey family. They have been extraordinary to me. And they had a daughter that was engaged and getting married, and they wanted me to plan it. And so I had been toying with this idea of going from catering to full planning and production so that I could kind of have control over all the parts and pieces to make sure that those luxury experiences were happening kind of just the way they should be. She was getting married. They wanted me to plan everything from the ground up. So you had your first big client. I did, yeah. And they already knew me, which was great, and they trusted me that I could do it. So I started my business then. That was my very first client. And then COVID hit, unfortunately. So So say the name of your company and your website, too. Lindsay Lighthammer, Lindsay Lighthammer Events, lindsaylighthammer.com. Take us back to those early days in the development of what would then be called Lindsay Lighthammer events. Being a business major and going to college for that, of course, you always have to start with a business plan. It's kind of 101. So I sat down with the business plan template 
a lot of it was very easy to answer and very easy to kind of map out. Since it's so adjacent to catering and still within the industry, I had a lot of that prior knowledge already. The harder part that I had to sit down and really work through was my packages. How do I offer that? What do I charge? Is it hourly? How am I assigning an hourly rate to my time? Also, every event is so different. So you could spend 300 hours on one event. You could spend 400 on a different one. And they're all so different with their own complexities because they're in a different place every single weekend. So coming up with how do I make sure that I'm spending my time appropriately. And valuing yourself. Yes, exactly. Which I also find, especially in the wedding industry, people are afraid to assign value to themselves and they're afraid to actually be realistic about that, especially when they're starting in their first year. And I'll admit it, I did it myself. You know, I'm just kind of getting my feet wet. I'll just take the client at the lower rate just to kind of get in the door. And then you (laughs) kind of lose your shirt on that one job and you're like, I'm never doing that again. So then you start feeling more confident in assigning the real market value to yourself and your time and your experience. Learning every day that experience is a great teacher, right? Yes, absolutely. What do you offer? What are your services? So I'm actually expanding from Lindsay Lighthammer events into Lindsay Lighthammer Studios so that it's a little bit more comprehensive because I do have two other branches of my business that I offer and I've been doing it a little bit more small scale and it's time to make it official. So I do large scale wedding and event production for both weddings, social events, corporate events and things like that. And then I have my one kind of thread back into the food industry that I kind of grew up working in is doing food styling for photo and video production. Fun! Yeah. And then also travel planning. So travel planning and event planning kind of overlap in a lot of ways. And so it's helpful to help my clients through their wedding and then also their honeymoon planning. I'm very passionate about travel and to bring those kind of authentic experiences, very much how I deal with weddings and that kind of authenticity to then their travel plans afterwards. You have three touchstones for success that I was very interested in reading in terms of being an event producer. It starts with extensive experience on the ground. I'm planning weddings every single day of my life. And I think that that's important when a client comes to me. It would be like me trying to go build a house. You don't know what you don't know. So you need a professional to tell you all of those things so that you don't have to assign a price tag to time, assign a price tag to aggravation. So (laughs) I can make all of that worthwhile and take that off your plate. Number two, you say positive relationships. Your relationships are paramount. And so if a client wants something and it's really important to them and maybe it's really difficult to pull off, you can kind of go to your network and say, I really need this to happen. Can you help me brainstorm about how that works, whether it's a lighting company or a band or an infrastructure like tent and rental company? There's nothing that really perfectly fits in how to solve it. So can you sit in a round table with me? Let's come up with how to make the client happy. So it's great that you have people that are willing to spend their time and their thought process on how to work together as a team to ultimately make your client's dreams come true. Your third touchstone is my favorite one, and that is a sense of humor. Yes. (laughs) So I feel like that kind of comes with a little bit with my like Boston wit. And if you ask any vendors that I work with, they'll always say that I'm approaching things with a sense of humor because some of the issues that you get handed, torrential downpours, your tent is flooded, all of your drivers for your buses got COVID and you just learned this 24 hours before the event and you're in the middle of nowhere. How are you going to deal with that? Sometimes you just got to laugh. You're right. Yeah, exactly. But usually the bride doesn't think it's that funny, right? Well, because they won't know. That's the point of hiring a planner. (laughs) You deal with all the fires first. Speaking of humor and nerves of steel, can you tell us a story about an event where you needed to deploy all these attributes? Yeah, there was a particular weekend. It was a number of years ago. I think it was 2013. 
we had an event on Friday for 2,500 people, and then we had two weddings on Saturday and a brunch on Sunday. So we did all of our food prep, packed our refrigerated trucks on Thursday night, went home, came back Friday morning, and the compressor broke in the refrigerated truck. And so all of the food had come up to temp, so we had no food for our event on Friday. So we had to take all of our Saturday events and retool all of that food to work for the Friday event, and then go back to the kitchen Friday night, re-prep all of the food for the weddings on Saturday. We had two weddings, one in southern Vermont, and that truck broke down on the side of the highway. And so my, my chef... You must have felt like, I just cannot win this weekend. No, and then it gets even worse. So then we had, my chef had to go rescue that truck, so I moved into the chef role on my job. And then our bridal party was driving together, and they got into a car accident. And everybody was fine before I say that, but they did have to go to the hospital and get checked out. So that meant they weren't going to make the wedding on time. So instead, I already had 200 guests that were kind of filtering in to the event space. So I had to, I just said, let's go with cocktail hour. Let's act like we planned it. Open the bar, pass the app. Act like, like you planned it. Yes. I love that line. <laughs> Very important. If it feels intentional and you act like it's intentional, then the guests have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. We ended up then having the ceremony in between cocktail hour <laughs> and the reception, just like we had planned it that way. And then everybody went on with dancing and like nothing had ever happened. The show still has to go on. In your opinion, what are the keys to being a successful entrepreneur? You really have to be passionate about what you're doing and find fulfillment in doing it. The pandemic killed so many businesses like yours. Weddings were canceled. Mm -hmm. So were big corporate events. Mm -hmm. How did you survive during those years? That was really difficult. At that point, I was the president of the Vermont Association of Wedding Professionals. And I worked kind of hand in hand with a colleague of mine, Talina Companion from Premier Entertainment and Events. And we really had to grab that bull by the horns because we just watched our industry go up in smoke. The wedding industry is made up of a number of different types of companies. So there's venues, there's resorts, there's planners, DJs, florists, flower farms. There's a lot of different companies that are represented under one industry. And that industry wasn't fully realized or recognized how important it was to the economic landscape of Vermont. So we had to really make that case and make sure that the industry was first in line for help, for funding. A lot of people, especially the rental companies, they have a lot of hard costs. They have a lot of employees. They have warehouses, trucks, so much stuff that are hard costs. It's not just service for them. So they were, you know, hemorrhaging. And we needed to make sure that they stayed afloat because if we don't have that infrastructure, we don't have weddings, especially in Vermont, because so many are tented. So we were able to put together numbers and present that to our state. The industry brings $450 million into the state every year. And half of our weddings that do happen, 46% of them are from out-of-state guests that are coming into the state. So that's a huge amount of out-of-state dollars that are flooding into Vermont via the wedding industry. And that's too much of a percent of the GDP to ignore if we all of a sudden just don't exist anymore. And also, a lot of our vendors work on a deposit process. And those deposits aren't like a deposit like for a rental. It doesn't go into escrow. That's live dollars that we have to spend to put food on the table, to live, to operate our businesses. So those deposits are spent as soon as they're given by a client. If the client has to cancel their wedding or postpone, they want their deposit back because it was something out of their control, a pandemic. So there were a lot of challenges that we were able to overcome and save a lot of businesses in our industry because of it. You know, you have what I call a can-do attitude. Where does that come from? My parents, definitely. My dad brought me here. And he nominated you for this program. <laughs> yes, he did. He's a big fan. But my parents are like that. The only way out is through. 
okay, how are we going to get through this? So that was very important. We were holding, you know, industry-wide Zoom meetings weekly. The venues would get together, kind of think tank, like, okay, how do we move forward? And that was hugely helpful in keeping the whole industry afloat. Very few businesses in the industry ended up shuttering because we were able to get funding to a lot of these businesses to see everybody through. You know, we talked a little bit about the fact that your dad brought you here today. You are from a little town on the south shore of Massachusetts. It's called Marshfield. Mm-hmm. Please describe your hometown and tell us a little bit about your childhood. Marsh Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Marshfield. I love Marshfield. It's a place that I kind of keep close to my heart. It's on the beach. Marshfield Fair is there every year. And, you know, I still have friends that live there. I'm coming back there all the time. My parents still live there. My brother and my nieces live there. It's a nice town. I love coming back and it has a lot of that nice colonial homes and those things that I really love about New England and about Massachusetts. We talked about the fact that you were born into a home where can-do attitude was important, but what were the values in your house? You know, my parents are married. They're still together. I have my brother, Taylor, who I grew up with. He's 10 years older than I am, so we did have a little bit of a gap. Ever since I was little, we've been best friends, and we still remain best friends. And my dad is one of 10, and I think that it was always family first, keeping your family close, keeping those relationships up, and then also working hard. My dad worked super hard. My mom always worked super hard at home. Growing up, we kind of wanted for nothing. Our parents made sure that we were able to have access to sports, and we'd go on a family vacation every year. But then also, <laughs> as soon as it came time to be working, we were out there with job applications. We were always doing chores around the house to make sure that the power of a dollar and the effort that goes into hard work is recognized. When you were growing up, who was your role model? My brother. Easy. Talk about that. So being 10 years older than me, he was always so much cooler than me. You know, when his friends would come over, he would have parties at our parents' house. My parents would be home, of course. But I was allowed to go for like the first hour, which was very nice of him to even let me go as like a six-year-old. You know, talk to all of his girlfriends and things like that who were just like the coolest thing ever. I'm picturing you sort of like at the door and you're kind of looking (laughs) in and these are 16-year-olds and your brother's the coolest one there. Yeah. He would be the one that's like putting Band-Aids on my scraped knees and then he would teach me how to drive, take me on like little joy rides. We used to have our little moments where he would be sitting in his room and I'd come sit on the end of his bed and we'd kind of just talk about things and stuff every night. He and I had developed a really close relationship and he would, since he was so much older, like teach me the ways of the world. So he was always a really great role model. Well, he's going to love this interview because he's getting a lot of love from Lindsay <laughs> yeah, today. And he's a captain at JetBlue. And so he had been flying since he was 16 and he really lived out his dream and he worked so hard to achieve that as well. And so that was very inspiring to me too. So he's flying all over the place, all across the country. It's kind of like the coolest job ever. We all need someone who believes in us, Mm -hmm. someone who sees our talents early on. Who has that person been for you? I'm going to give the award to my mom for this one. She has always been kind of like a, you can do it. You will, you know, her tagline for me was you will live, you will live, you will live. She's always been so encouraging, and I think she's kind of been like my biggest cheerleader on the sidelines. What is your pie-in-the-sky hope for your business right now? Where do you want to be in 10 years as well? It's not really scale that matters to me. I don't want to have like multiple event companies. Like I don't need a million employees. I'm kind of comfortable. And as long as I can still do the things that I enjoy while able to make a living and being able to be close to my home, like that's kind of the pie-in-the-sky. Well, speaking of your spare time, I hear that you have a dog named Banjo and a boyfriend who's a rock star. (laughs) I love to hear that. (laughs) Fun times. Yeah, yeah. So my dog Banjo, he's 13, so he's like my little old man, but he goes everywhere with me. 
And then Jeff, yes, he is the lead guitarist and vocalist for Men in Black out of Boston, and he's a very impressive individual, super talented. You know, I know that you work pretty much 24 hours a day, but when you're not working, Mm -hmm. what is your favorite pastime? Cooking. I love cooking, and I love cooking for people. So I love to try new recipes. I love to host people in my home for dinner. Food and that kind of like food farm-to-table thing has been one of my passions. So it's nice when I am at home in Vermont being able to just go and be inspired in the produce section at City Market and bring food back, you know, and then just be able to cook. And now that I live alone in my apartment with Banjo, of course, I always cook more than what I need. So I'm sharing it with neighbors and things like that oftentimes. Food is love. Yes, absolutely. Next three questions we ask everybody who sits where you are. Mm -hmm. I think I know the answer to this first one. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? The only way out is through. And it's a good mentality to kind of have when you are faced with something like that. There's really nowhere else to go but on the other side. What's the best piece of advice, Lindsay, you've ever received, and can you pass that along to our listeners today? One thing that struck a chord with me was you've already survived 100% of your hardest days. So that was really kind of monumental. So when something is hard, and it doesn't have to be work-related, it could be with family or a loss of a loved one or something like that. Like, you've already made it through those hard things, so you can make it through all of the other hard things that you're going to have to do. And you have to believe in yourself and your resiliency. Final question, and thank you again for coming in today. I believe that we live our lives in chapters. Right now, in this chapter of your life, what does success mean to you? Really just finding a sense of fulfillment and being able to enjoy life along with it. So as a millennial, I feel like a lot of millennials are caught up in that kind of hustle culture. You have to work. If you're not busy, then you're doing something wrong. Over the past couple of years, I have been really working hard on trying to really enjoy life. So spending more time traveling, actually taking days off and going and doing something fun where I don't check my emails all the time. So making some time like that and being able to be fulfilled by your job and also be fulfilled by life, even though that's a very difficult thing, learning to strike a balance between both, I think that that would kind of be success to me. I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. For coming in and talking to me today. Thank you. And that's the story behind her success. My thanks to Lindsay Lethammer, founder of Lindsay Lethammer Events, a full-service wedding and event production company. It's based in Burlington, Vermont, New England, and beyond. Check out her website, lindsaylethammer.com, and we'll spell it for you, L-E-I-C-H-T-H-A-M-M-E-R.com, and it's Lindsay with an E-Y. Follow her on Instagram at Lynn's Loves Events. Thank you for listening. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please reach out and nominate her today, just like Lindsay's dad did? Just go to CandyOterry.com. That's Candy with a Y. O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, We all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.